Well, again, welcome everyone. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and following. Last week I started this series called Balance. Balance about um, the tensions, balancing the tensions in God's Word. Now, I'm not going to review all the lead up to this, but one of the things that I've been looking at over the past several years is the truth that there are what we would in our minds say are competing tensions of truth in God's Word. For instance, last week we looked at the truth. Is it, is it grace or is it works? Because they seem to be in opposition. You can't You can't receive God's grace, but at the same time be worried about doing works because work seems in opposition to grace, grace seems in opposition to works. But really, the truth of God's word is that these, what appear to be competing tensions, are really all-encompassing. It's not an either-or proposition, it's a both-and. Part of the problem is the way we define works and the way we define grace, but once we receive them as God's word lists them, they are beautiful things. And the illustration I used last week, for those of you who are here and those who may have missed, hey Kelly, welcome, glad you're back from Spain, que pasa baby, how's Adam, was he still alive when you left him, all right thanks, Kelly's been gone for a year, I just realized she's back, and uh, she saw my son since I've seen him, so uh, anyway, sorry, where was I, oh I was my illustration, My illustration was about a couple weeks ago, Kathy and I had gone to the symphony to see the symphony play, and we were discussing the string section of the orchestra, and Kathy, you know, my degrees are in music, and Kathy loves to learn about different stuff, and so I was talking to her about where the violins sit, and violas, and cellos, and basses, and how they sound, and the soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and all the stuff that goes along with the orchestra, but one of the things I noticed was that the string on a violin is, is... is stretched tight between two points. And Kathy and I were actually talking about uh, what happens in the orchestra right before it starts where they tune the string together. The first violinist, the principal violinist, will stand up and play a note. The oboe will generally play because the oboe is really hard to tune to, so everybody kind of adjusts to the oboe. Anyway, the string is strung between two points, and it's the tension between those two points strung properly which allows the instrument to play in tune. And all the instruments have to have the string strung between those two fixed points in such a way that they all then can sound in tune. If one tension is given into, at one side or the other, the string will be what? It'll be out of tune. One out of tune string in a string orchestra will make the entire orchestra sound out of tune. That these competing, what we call tensions, are really truths, and our lives are strung between these truths, and when we embrace fully the truth of God on both ends, and the tension is properly developed, and not tension in a bad sense, but tension in a sense in fully embracing what God says, then we have balance in our lives. Many times we give in to these tensions at one end. A lot of it has to do with what we've ever been taught. Some of it has to do with our own personal 
uh, experience. Some of it has to do with our desires and what we like. And so many times we tend toward what we like rather than fully embracing what God says. Balance is not a bad thing. Balance is not about compromise. Balance is about fully embracing everything that God has. Uh, David, I, I don't have any um, control here, so, and you know, you know how I am about lack of control. Um, so, if you'll help me out. The definition for balance is to keep or put something in a steady position so that it does not fall. And that's where we want to be. We want to be in a steady position, fully embracing God's truth so that we do not fall. This Tuesday, we're going to go to um, the voting establishments, and we're going to cast a vote in a primary, Republican or Democrat. It's part of what our nation is set up upon, which is a system of checks and balances. Our, Our founding fathers realized that power when it's centralized in one person or one group, can easily go astray. They recognized the the problem with a monarchy, and they recognized the problem with centralized power. As a result, they developed a system of what are called checks and balances, where we have the three branches of our government, the legislative, the executive, the judicial. That's right, isn't it? Okay, thanks. Thanks, Jack. These three branches of government, each with their own responsibilities, each kind of keeping the other in check, supposedly, and there's a balance that happens as a result. We need checks and balances in our lives because if not, then we tend toward going to one extreme or the other and our lives being out of tune. How many of you have your smartphone with you today? Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold up your smartphone. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the camera, put it on the front side. Here, wait, everybody. I'm I'm really bad at this. Everybody take take a picture of yourself. Hold it at about arm's length, Meredith. I know you're really good at this. I see you doing this all the time. My daughter, who's not here, uh, whenever she takes these, her eyes are like, it's always a startled look, like a deer in the headlights kind of thing. Do you take a picture? How many of you left your phones in your car? Hey, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. But for the rest of us who have our phones, congratulations. You've just taken a selfie. A selfie. Some of you, that may be the first selfie you've ever taken in your life. Uh, And if you're really bad like me, your arm is showing. The key to a good selfie is, you know, getting all the things in line, but not letting your arm show that you're actually taking a selfie. Over the last couple of years, selfies have increased into extraordinary numbers. In 2012, this is two years ago, not last year, but two years ago, Instagram received over 23 million photos uploaded with the hashtag selfie and a whopping 51 million with the hashtag me on it. Me. Oh, I wondered who that was. Uh, 
the term selfie has become so prominent that it was actually the latest word entered into the Oxford English Dictionary. We are an individualistic people. We don't even need anymore someone to take a picture for us because we can take a picture now of ourselves. And it's part of, it's part of what's going on in our society that's driving, driving us to the, to the thought that this is just about you. It is just about you. Now, for some Christians, and this has been driven into Christian life too, for some Christians, they think it's just about me and God. It's just about, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, it's a selfie religion. It's a selfie life. Gordon Fee, in one of uh, my favorite books, Paul the Spirit and the People of God, says this, one of the sure members of the modern world's trinity, as he says, along with, here's his trinity, relativism and secularism is individualism. He's basically saying these are the new trinity of our society. Relativism, whatever's right for you is right. Secularism, driving us away from God toward whatever society is determining, and individualism. Goes on to say, recapturing the biblical sense of the individual, but revising it to fit a non-biblical, naturalistic worldview, the Enlightenment led the modern Western world into a totally individualistic understanding of life, which has never been more prevalent than it is today. The individual is God. Narcissistic self-interest and self-centeredness is the chief end of life. We've lost that the chief end of life is glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Instead, it is all about me and all this is for me. Including church. Including how we live our lives, our future. God, on the other hand, has designed us to work in community. In his plan, he recognizes that left to ourselves, we'll end up prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the land I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. We need checks and balances. We don't like checks and balances. We don't like accountability. Peter, speaking about us, says, as you come to him, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. The yous in this passage are not singular yous, they are plural yous. You, us, we are the people of God. We are a chosen people, a royal nation, a holy priesthood. This is about, look at all the plurals here. 
The more you look at the New Testament, the more you realize this is about us and not me. And God has put a system of checks and balances into the way he's designed us in order to keep us from going too far astray. Let's look at these. These are foundational, but if they're not at work in your life, believe me, trust me, you will eventually get out of tune. The first point is this. We need God's word. We need God's word. Knowing and following God's word will help us from going on our own way and will challenge us to live our lives in balance. God's word was not given just so that there's these rules that we have to follow. But they're about a relationship. Even the Ten Commandments, which we think is legalistic, is really about how do God's people live in relationship to a holy God. It's all about relationship. It's all about him. But in his word, he's, he's given us direction. Think about these words from Matthew. This is from the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is just an example of the balance of God's word. Here's Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in what's known as the Beatitudes. Here's just two of them. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So, hunger thirst. Go hard after righteousness because you'll be filled. Live a right life. Live a holy life. Pursue righteousness. Pursue right living because you will be filled. Now here's the problem with pursuing righteousness. Too often when we're pursuing righteousness, we become selfish. We become, oh, it's all about me. i got to pursue righteousness. Oh, and look at them. They're not pursuing righteousness. What's wrong with them? I'm going to condemn them. Why aren't they right? The next thing you know, I'm standing on a street sign, on a street corner, holding up a sign, God hates all blanks. Why? Because I'm pursuing righteousness. So what does he say in the next one? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I mean, right here is an example of the balance that the, the, what we would see are competing. To, but what happened? Sometimes people receive mercy and they say, oh, I just have to be merciful. I have to love everybody. I have to really be, express mercy. And so I'm going to express mercy all of my, So, So if a person is living, even in the body of Christ, an unrighteous life, I'm just going to love them and be merciful. And be, do you see the competing tensions that we sometimes... Even that God's word helps guide us in. We're not unloving, but at the same time, we don't want to be unrighteous. We don't want to be unrighteous, and we don't want to be unmerciful. We embrace fully everything God has so that it's balanced. And Paul says in 1 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man or woman, person of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture, it teaches us, shows us the way to live life. It rebukes us. It challenges our thoughts and behavior. It brings correction. It shows us when we're off the path and helps get us back on the right path. It trains us in righteousness. It shows us who we are, and like a training partner, how we're to play out our lives. 
the Scripture equips us for every good work. You've not been called to live a life of your own. The Word challenges me in so many different ways. It challenges the way I think. It challenges what I feel. It even challenges some of the things that I've been taught and some of the things I assume. I'll just give you one example. I, I know ours it's not that late, but this whole, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a study on dreams, um, just trying to figure out what does God's word say about dreams. So my first tendency was to go pick up some book on dreams. Some person's writing on dreams and say, I'm going to read their book and see what it says on dreams. But then I felt like God was saying to me, hey, just go to the Word and look expressly at what God says about dreams. Look at all the dreams in the Bible. Look at the various passages that speaks about dreams. Look at what the Word says about dreams. Now, this is not a sermon on dreams, but I got to tell you, I was challenged by what I saw because some of my assumptions are not they're not anywhere in God's Word. I mean, it, it, it helps us if we look at God's Word to at times kind of clarify some of the things we either assume, some of the things we may have read, some of the things we may be thinking about various topics. And I'm not picking on dreams. This is just something personally I was trying to look at for a number of reasons. You could take any topic. Say, I'm going to study God's Word. Let's see what God's Word says about whatever. What will happen? It will teach you. It will rebuke you. It will correct you. It will train you. It will equip you in everything you need. Study God's Word. Now, in our heads, don't we know this? Isn't this fundamental that I should be reading God's word, I should know God's word. But how little? I mean, if you're dependent on this 40 minutes of me teaching you God's word, for God's word to be permeating your life and your heart, your your checks and balances are going to get unchecked and unbalanced. I mean, this is good. I mean, it's real good. But you need more than just this. You and God's Word need to get together. Second point is this. We need God's presence. We need God's presence. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God who's called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. What has He called you into? Fellowship. Koinonia. Relationship with Jesus. It's about His presence in our life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body is what? A temple of whom? The Holy Spirit. God's presence dwells you, indwells you. The idea of a temple was that's where the presence of God was. His presence was in a building, the temple. But now you are the temple of God. God's presence fills you up. His spirit leads you and guides you into all truth. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11 says this, For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, 
goes on and says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to God the Father. God's empowering presence in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And we are to live in lockstep with the power and presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. goes on in Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Paul says, so I say, live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. By the way, here's Paul's implication here. Paul's implication is if you're not living, you're only living by one of these two powers at work in your life. You're either living by the power of the Spirit of God in your life or you're living according to your other nature, your sinful nature. There's no neutral position here. I can do this on my own. Instead, he says, you're living by, you're either walking with the Spirit or you're living by the sinful nature, the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what? What's contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. <laughs> we think, oh, I just need to want it more. I just, I think I can, I think I can. I just want to want it. And if I want it more than I can do it, bad news. You can't do what you want. Oh, you can only do it by the power of the Spirit who indwells you. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If we live by God's presence and step with the Spirit, Paul is saying in Galatians 5 and 6, by the way, then you'll manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Don't we want all those things? Only by the power of the Spirit, His presence indwelling us, do we get those fruit. But if not, then we get what the sinful nature wants. Envy, strife, lust, jealousy, a list we would all say, this is no good. We must live our lives under the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, combined with the Word of God, provides a powerful balance and direction in our lives. We've, we've preached this since day one of Fullness Christian Fellowship. We are a church that fully embraces the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The question is, by whose power are you trying to live your life right now? Are you trying to do, you can't even, here's my contention, you can't even do the word of God without the spirit of God, his presence in your life. But at the same time, God's word brings balance because we filter God's presence and his spirit through our own desires, our own heart, and our own nature. So we need both fully embraced to provide balance in our lives. Third point, we need God's people. We need God's people. We need each other. We need each other. In the Old Testament, the people of God were with the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, the people of God are us, those who have followed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. We are God's people, and as God's people, we help each other. We see God's work manifest in our lives. Think about the, the, the different uh, terms that God uses for us. We're God's temple. We're his, the body of Christ. We're the family of God. 
we need each other. Christianity is not a selfie faith. It's a community faith. Romans 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I want very much to see you, to give you some spiritual gift to make you strong. I mean that I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. My faith will help you. We need each other. More than 50 times in the New Testament, closer to really 70, somewhere between 70 and 100, there are all these one another passages and each other. We need one another. We need each other. Love one another. Bless one another. Teach each other. We're not, I'm not responsible for everyone in the body of Christ. But at the same time, there is an accountability and responsibility between us. We we need each other. We need to love one another. Accountability means more than just we're answerable to each other. It means that we love each other and we, we regularly together face the truth of God's word in a head-up fashion. Listen, the truth is this. We are all right on the verge of being idiots. I mean... Not to be overly blunt, but we're not generally as bright as we think we are. We're not generally as smart as we think we are. We're not generally as clever as we think we are. We, know, we don't hold the corner on the market of truth in our own lives. Last week, uh, I, I read um, about some of the dumbest job applicants and some of the things. Now, just listen to this. These are people who need people. Here's the person who went in for a job application and the human resources person said, we ask prospective job applicants at our business to fill out a questionnaire for the line. Now listen to this carefully. For the line, choose one word to summarize your strongest professional attribute. The applicant wrote, I'm very good at following instructions. An individual applied for a customer service job. And when asked what they might not like about the job, they said, well, dealing with people. <laughs> Another person had somebody list their prison time as a job. And an exotic dancer who called herself a customer service representative. Another person came hungry and they ate all the candy from the person's desk. One candidate sent his sister to interview in his place. Can you do that? Can you send like a surrogate interviewer, an understudy? One candidate arrived in a cat suit. Don't you think there's anybody that said, you know, that really might not be what you want to wear today to the job interview? One candidate specified that his availability was limited because Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was drinking time. (laughs) Another one had a person clip her fingernails while they were speaking together. One candidate told the interviewer he was fired from his last job for beating up his boss. (laughs) 
One applicant for an accounting position said she was really a people person, not a numbers person. (laughs) Somebody should have helped her. This is not your job, baby. I'm going to end with this one. These are examples of why people need people. One candidate said that by crossing the Maryland state line, he was in violation of his probation, but he felt like the interview was worth taking possible jail time for. I know those are funny and stupid, but listen, we are one step away. I mean, stupid is always right outside our door knocking. And if we're not careful, if we don't have other people in, in our lives who will say, don't answer the door, you'll be amazed how often you'll open that door. Paul says this, or the author of Hebrews says this, In Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. 1 Peter 1 says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Four. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's design here is not that you do this on your own. His design and his word, if you really look at 2 Peter 1, 2, 3, is is a design for us together to pursue these qualities so that we do not become ineffective, unproductive, and unfruitful. We live in an age where the spirit of individualism is driving us apart. It is more and more challenging to get people together, whether it be in small group or church or life, or fellowship. God has given us these three great fundamental truths that help provide checks and balances in our life. His word, which teaches, rebukes, corrects, trains us. His spirit, His presence leading and guiding us into all truth, empowering us for our Christian life. And he's given us each other. Spurring us on towards love, good deeds, sharing with one another, giving our lives to one another. Here's what I would encourage you to do right now. Is to say, are all three of these in operation in my life today? The word of God the Spirit of God, the people of God. I know this is fundamental, but like so many fundamental things, we easily leave them. And if not, I want to encourage you to to get with someone and to say, how can I see these things reinstituted? I have lost a love for God's Word. Would you help me get God's Word in my life? Or maybe I feel really dry. I feel like God's presence is just so far from me. Would you help pray for me that God's presence and power would be at work in my life?
Or maybe you would just say, I am so, I know this is hard to get with someone if you feel alone, but find somebody. Find someone. I mean, find somebody here. Call our church staff. Call us. Say, I just feel really alone. Would you pray with me? And we'll help build relationships as best we can so that the people of God will operate as the people of God. Any one of these out of balance will cause our lives to be out of tune. Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence, your power, your word, and your people. And I pray, God, that you would help right now show us where we are in our lives. Lord, we don't want to be out of balance. We want we want to be effective. We want to be fruitful. We want to do more than just exist. Go day by day, one breath to another. Instead, Lord, we pray that all of these things would be fully operational in our lives today. Lord, where we might tend toward one of these three to the exclusion of the others, Lord, may we fully embrace all of them. Lord, I thank you for this people and this place and your word at work in our lives and especially for your power and your presence that infills us and indwells us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up with me if you would. Maybe in response to today's word, you'd like somebody to speak with you or pray with you. Before you leave, there will be a couple of teams under the prayer banner and the worship banner. If I could have a couple of teams, just go to those two banners. In case there's somebody who needs prayer or would like to talk to someone, feel free to to do that. Hopefully you'll be back Wednesday night in the foyer and sanctuary and youth in the youth room, children downstairs, so that we can do the alpha, alpha experience together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. If we could have a, a couple of guys help. We're having, this is a, a voting place Tuesday, so we need to make a few little modifications. See Rich and I. Thank you.